Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is different than what I typically do. I've been trying to mix up some of the episodes into interesting conversations with people who might give us some new approaches, new wisdom, new ways of thinking. And I wanted to interview Alan Patrikoff because I'm so in awe of just the life that he's led and he just wrote a book. So it felt like a perfect opportunity to have an excuse for this audience to have access to a really interesting legend. Alan just wrote a book called No Red Lights, Reflections on Life, 50 Years in Venture Capital and Never Driving Alone. This is a man who is 87 years old, has started multi-billion dollar companies from nothing and is still creating new businesses and a whole new genre of longevity and aging. He's 87 years old and still younger and fitter than most people that I know. And he has just been someone who I've known for decades, who's actually like one of the greatest dads I've ever met. And I mean, how many times do we get to talk to a brilliant 87-year-old who's contributed to the world in ways that if you Google him, you will be blown away. And then also knowing personally that he is such a giving, generous, beloved human on this planet and his children are the same and their families are incredible. And I just thought, I want to know how he did this. And I... I bet other people will find this interesting. So if you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, or write a little review. I am curious to know if you're interested in these special episodes that are a little bit off my typical topic. And you can always DM me and let me know on at Raising Good Humans podcast. As always, please send me your questions. I try to get to them in my Instagram or stories or on my newsletter, drlisa.bulletin.com. Lots of ways to engage. So excited that you're here and so thrilled to have the privilege of sharing Alan Patrikoff with a new audience. When I had my first baby, I remember I was reading whatever book I was reading. I was starting to identify for the first time with the mother of the protagonist. 
And I realized in that moment that something was ending. Like I was no longer the protagonist in my story. I was the mother of the protagonist. And there's something about parenting that, you know, in good ways takes you outside of focus on yourself and you focus on your kids and the world. But in this other way, it does give you a sense that your story's over. I mean, how old are you, Alan? Are you 86? 87. 87. You are an 87-year-old, fit as a fiddle, brilliant man who's still making new businesses and new life choices constantly. You have an incredible connection with your family. You've raised magnificent children, probably in a large part due to Susan. <laughs> That's You had to have had something to do with it. So I, I want to hear from you that a shift in the thinking because I, I don't think I'm alone in that transition to parenthood where you forget that you still have a whole long life ahead of you. And you've carved out a way to think about longevity in, in just an approach that hasn't occurred to me before. So what struck me in thinking about this is that you just wrote a book, No Red Lights, Reflections on Life, 50 Years in Venture Capital and Never Driving Alone. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes. But what prompted me to think about what happened in my brain and the transition of, of becoming a parent and what happened in my brain thinking about your look back at your life and how you're moving forward, I think there's so much for us to learn in terms of thinking about our own longevity and continuing to be both supportive of our families and also still the protagonist of your own story. Uh, the reason I wrote this book, uh, there were multiple reasons. Uh, one is I thought I had a very interesting, unusual life in that it, particularly it has not been unidimensional. And I, I find that a lot of people I get to meet get so wrapped up in the field they're in, primarily in the financial world, which is, covers a lot, but you know, whether lawyers or accountants or whatever else they're doing, that they don't really live a multifaceted life. And I have been fortunate enough uh, because of my philosophy of no red lights. I really uh, gone in so many different directions that I thought it would be worthwhile to encourage people, uh, both when they're starting to build a family and as they get older, to realize that there is no boundary to, to what you can uh, do in building a, building a, a, an active, uh, fruitful life. And uh, so that was one of the reasons. And the second was, I felt that, uh, that I was a, in my late 80s when I thought about writing this, and I was looking around me and seeing too many people who were being aged out of too many things, whether it was retirement, or forced retirement, or or voluntary retirement, or uh, COVID, of course, accelerated all this of moving to other climates to play golf or go fishing or do something, and that uh, I felt there was a great waste of talent that people were still, as far as I was concerned, in the prime of their lives and uh, not making the most of the last fifty years if that's the boundary. And, you know, I have made a commitment to live to 114, 
I made that commitment uh, at least 10, maybe 15 years ago after hearing a lecture by a gerontologist at Mount Sinai who said we could do it. The only reason we didn't is because of things that happened on the way, whether it was cancer, tuberculosis, or, or a hip replacement. But I like the idea that it was possible. And even though I had a few of those maladies, I decided I was going to go for it. And uh, so I uh, felt that I, you know, even in my mid 80s, had a long way to go. And uh, I started my first business when I was 36, my first real business, Apex Partners, uh, which today is a uh, even I was shocked. It's now managing $75 billion after starting out with $2 million. And oh, then my God. It, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and then in 2006, I decided to start a second business. Uh, I wanted to go back to where I started in venture capital because APAS could no longer do small things. So I decided to go back in the pure, pure venture capital business. And I started Gradecraft. And in the last 15, 16 years, that's grown to a couple of billion dollars under management. So I decided a couple of years ago that I was going to start again. And uh, and I wanted to focus on the particular age group that I wanted to incentivize, which is, let's say, the over 60s. I modified it a little bit now and saying, you know, maybe I'll slip into the late 50s. But uh, to to focus on that age group with investing in, in products, services, experiences, technologies, media, uh, anything that would serve the older, uh, what I call the ageless gener- generation, the, otherwise known as the baby boomers. So I uh, have formed this new third op company uh and i'm now 87 and going strong and uh i think that uh if people live a positive life and uh keep themselves in reasonably good shape and uh you know stay active in business uh, or in their profession they can be doctors also uh it's not just financial or business people uh if they you know, when I say eat healthy, I, I, I don't, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but I think, you know, living a constructive life. And uh, if you do that and you stay involved in your families uh, and you stay involved with friends and social contacts, if you, uh, you know, let's say do the crossword puzzle, I don't do it religiously, but I do it, but testing your brain, that there's no reason why. People can live a very active, fruitful life and be a, a, a parent easily, but a grandparent and a great-grandparent. I, I am only a grandparent at this stage, but I fully intend to be around for great-grandparenthood. Great, great uh, my oldest two granddaughters are 25 and 24. So, uh, it's and, perfectly and, reasonable. Uh, yeah, but they're not married yet and they haven't started a family, but I'm going to be here for it. Certainly the weddings and the hopefully the children. But uh, I think there's so much ahead of me. And I think, frankly, if that same guy gave the lecture today, he'd probably say you can live to 120. Uh, I just found out the other day, which I I didn't know, that the oldest person who's lived, they have record of who's ever lived is 123. 
And the oldest person alive today is 119. Uh, and they're doing their best to keep, I think it's a him, keep him alive. I think he's an, uh, an American. So uh, it's a mindset. And uh, I think it's the way you obviously live your life on the way to your 80s and uh, having this positive attitude and being, you know, active in many areas as my book goes into. I've been involved in theater and politics and international development, uh, very involved with my family. Uh, uh, you know, I'm the energizer bunny <laughs> and I, I didn't originally wanted to be the poster child, but, but I gave, I gave that up quickly and decided that that was a good way to do it. So whenever I appear like this, I'm very willing to talk about the fact of my age. And, uh, uh as you know, I have signed up to do Burning Man this summer. I had signed up two years ago, but they canceled it. And uh, I have a track coach getting ready to do uh, – I can't run them. I did five marathons when I could run, but now I'm going to walk, jog it in November. And I'm training three times a week with that. And I have a regular trainer at home two days a week. Uh, I've had the same trainer uh, at home for 25 years. Uh, so he and I have grown older together. And, um, you know, perhaps your listeners can tell from my voice or my attitude, I uh, have a very positive attitude. And uh, I think it's a good way to bring up your families and and uh, let your children uh, know how you think and uh, not become sedentary and, uh, you know, retire for tax reasons to other states. <laughs> And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. As the saying goes, don't gamble what you can't afford to lose. With all the high-risk investment options out there today, one of the safest bets you can make with your money is a long-term automated investment account like Wealthfront. The secret to Wealthfront's performance is great software. It's built to make it easy, rewarding, and even delightful to build your long-term wealth. Wealthfront's automated trading optimizes your portfolio based on your own risk settings, helping you reach your financial goals without lifting a finger. They also get you automatic tax breaks that can boost your returns even when the market dips. Like a bonus coupon you can redeem at tax time. You can go with Wealthfront's expert-built portfolios, including a socially responsible option that I love. It's designated around sustainability, diversity, and equity. Or you can build your own portfolio and their curated selections of funds help you along. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And Investopedia just named them their best robo-advisor for 2022, which is pretty cool because the year is only half over. And I just learned about what Investopedia was. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to wealthfront.com slash humans. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T.com slash humans to start building your wealth. Go to wealthfront.com slash humans to get started today. And more from my sponsors who make it possible for you to get this podcast at no cost. That's it is exactly what it sounds like. That's it is a snack bar. It's 
eating healthy and nutritious food on the go because realistically, we sometimes have to. And there's nothing in it but fruit. So it's kind of delicious. It's a little bit sweet, but made with organic whole fruit. So it can feel like stuff in the snack aisle is too complex and confusing and has tons of ingredients, which it should not in order for it to feel like it's healthy. But that's it. Fruit bars are just made with one ingredient, 100% real fruit. So for example, their apple and mango bar is one whole apple and one whole mango, which is very hard to eat on the go. And the bars are convenient. They can go anywhere, lunch bags, purses, diaper bags, emergency snacks in your car. These bars are for any time to ensure you and your young ones are getting a daily dose of fruit. That's it is giving Raising Good Humans listeners a special discount. So if you're looking to try these fruit bars for you and your family, head over to that's it fruit.com slash raising good humans and use the code humans to get 20% off your order. That's it fruit.com slash raising good humans and use the code humans to get 20% off your order. What I hear is essentially make sure that you have purpose, make sure that you're active physically and intellectually and commit to the relationships in your life and you really can thrive. Absolutely. I mean, that feels like, to me, that's a oversimplified way of describing you. All of those things are parts of you that are, stand out so much. And I think you know this, but I would add your mentorship to others. That seems to be a huge part of your thriving and positive attitude. I don't know if I've emphasized that enough, but I have done an enormous amount of mentoring. I find I'm going to a lot of... 33 and to 40 year old weddings uh, uh, these days. And they're all people I mentored. I just got a note from one of my mentees who a little, a little longer in tooth because he just had his 50th birthday party, but he just told me how he had just read the book uh, and he got through it in one sitting on an airplane ride and loved it, which was very encouraging. But I, I, I have, taken a particular interest in younger people and helping to build careers and uh, selflessly because I've always felt that I would be very inclusive of all the people who work with me, younger or older, so that they would feel full participant in whatever I did. And I think that's rubbed off on a lot of them. And uh, I have a lot of yeah, well, they're now some of them are a lot in their fifties, but a lot of them are still younger that I've uh, helped to uh, foster their careers in one way or another. I have always and that is in the book. I mean, I've always been open to, uh, and I've had a reputation for answering people's telephone calls. I don't know too many people in my position that you know are too too good to answer someone's call they don't know, uh, to take the time to meet with people who are building a career or building a life to share my experiences and to, you know, perhaps give guidance to people when they're trying to decide on what career they would take or what even what, what, what educational pursuit or what life pursuit. And uh, that all contributes to uh, having the positive attitude and the past that I, I think I've built. It strikes me 
that you have such a wide range of ages in your friend group because of that. I really do think that your mentorship, you might not know this, but I'm sure you've heard this from other people, but everybody thinks of you as accessible and helpful and supportive. And so you have really launched careers for some people, given personal mentorship to other people. It's very noticeable. I, I, I've never known if it was intentional, but you, you do <laughs> to the, to the, um, I was saying to, to one of your sons recently, you know, Alan always takes my call and he just answered the other day and <laughs> it was so clear you were somewhere with, there was noise. You might've been at lunch or something. And he said, yeah, it's annoying that he does that, but he always takes people's calls because he always wants to be the supportive one. You show up and I hope that that means that other people show up for you as well. 90% of life is showing up. So I show up. So speaking of showing up, I want to address what have you observed parenting wise? Like what, what have you observed? You have three sons who have three sets of kids. So you've seen parenting change over time and you've been a parent. You're, I, I happen to know that you have managed somehow to raise three kids with such integrity and they're so wonderful. So I want to know how you were parented. How were you parented and how did that inform how you parented? You know, that is an interesting question. And like I said, nobody has asked me that question and it's not in the book, really. My parents weren't terrific, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, my mother was very loving, caring, uh, self-sacrificing, and it was a really, really nice person, the sweetest person in the world. Uh, not very smart, but very, very nice. My father, my father was also not very brilliant, uh, much, much tougher, much tougher. I'm giving you answers. You I, I love this. Are you kidding me? I have so many questions about this. So just keep going. So he, so, so he was tough. He was tough on me. He was tough on my two sisters. He was nothing like my, my mother was the sweet one, you know, who would coddle us. And he was the one who was brusque and rough and tough. And I, I think my grandchildren would probably tell you that he was tough who they knew him longer. He lived 10 years longer than my mother. So I don't think, honestly, I can say, you know, uh, that the, the only thing I, I guess I got from them was that, you know, they were depression people. So I, I learned to be careful and, and frugal and, you know, not live a, a, a not flaunted. But uh, I don't think I can honestly tell you I got, Although my father worked hard, so I, maybe I picked up those that trait of working hard. But I, in terms of my own parenting, that I have been very, very conscious, as I've told you. That has been something that's first and foremost in my mind, maybe because of the fact that I wasn't parented that well, that I, I wanted to be a very committed parent and grandparent. I don't, there's no question my, my grandparent, my grandchildren would echo everything I say. I mean, they, I don't want to say they adore me, but they, they, they like me. And <laughs> they I like, adore you. 
get, and we get along very, very well. I get along better with my grandchildren, of course, than with my children. But, but I've been very conscious about bringing up my children because, as you know, uh, my, my first son was from a first marriage, uh, which was resulted in divorce. I was married for legally 10 years, but together for seven. And then I married Susan, and we were married for 50 years. So obviously that was a pretty successful second marriage. And I was very, very determined to integrate my son from my first marriage with my two sons from my second marriage and have been consciously pursuing that since my, you know, since my second son was born, or first one with Susan. So backing up, because I really am so interested in how you consciously cultivated the relationship with your sons so that they actually, and they think of each other as all three of them full brothers and there's no sense of, you know, that they're not brothers. But before we go into that, do you think that you were aware before you had kids that you were unsatisfied with the relationship that you had with your father and wanted to do better when you had kids? Or did that just emerge once you met your first son? I I think it had more to do with meeting my first son. Although my parents were reasonably good grandparents to Mark, my first son, uh, I would say they, they were really good. But again, they conveyed the same traits of my mother being warm, cuddly, soft, gentle, and my father being tough. Now, I think it was my own sense of what I wanted to accomplish. And when you say tough, I mean, I kind of feel like I know what you mean, but can you be a little bit more specific? Because, you know, you seem tough, (laughs) but it's different. It's not the same kind of tough I'm imagining. No, no, I hope not. (laughs) Uh, No, just, I I don't need to go into everything. Just not, uh, he was just not, he had been brought up. He was an immigrant who actually uh, came from the Ukraine. He came from uh, a town called Smilo, which was 60 miles outside of Kiev, which I visited with Susan about five, six years ago before she got married. Yeah, I went. I wanted to go see where he had come from, and he had come here as an immigrant at age four. So he didn't remember too much of it, except he remembered growing up in a family in a, in a household in Ohio with sixteen or seventeen—I don't know, fourteen kids—and so he always he had a certain degree of bitterness and frustration, and he did not have a silver spoon. And I think he was determined. Uh, not to give it to his children uh, in soft or love or affection. That wasn't his style. Uh, my mother, that was my mother's style. So I think you're making me think of these things. I mean, he, he, would, he never really got over the fact of his poor childhood, you know, shoveling coal and delivering newspapers at four in the morning or whatever in the middle town, Ohio. So I, and so, you know, I had nothing you have nothing, or I didn't have this, you have nothing. You know, I had, I had no car, you're lucky you got a used car, uh, you know, uh, don't complain. You know, it was the contrast between the two of them. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. 
Summer is around the corner and Camp Galileo is a place where your child's imagination can come to life. Once they enter the fun machine, campers start building lifetime memories with friends old and new. Galileo staff are committed to making this the best summer yet. Their staff is made up of educators, artists, and engineers that help campers build creative confidence through the STEAM-based curriculum. This year, campers will work on creative projects like engineering their own roller coasters in the Amusement Park Adventure Camp, making a stained glass masterpiece in the Castle Quest Camp, or building a 3D dinosaur out of paper mache during the Dino Dig Camp. Come on, those are so cool. Choose one of these incredible themes or experience all three. And Camp Galileo has over 70 locations across Northern and Southern California, Chicagoland, Seattle, Denver, and Washington, D.C. At Camp Galileo, kids enjoy limitless creativity, innovation, and fun. Go to GalileoCamps.com and use the code FUNSUMMER2022 to get $100 off camp, GalileoCamps.com, code FUNSUMMER2022. Claim your spot today. I wish Coterie had existed when I had babies. If you have a baby, you gotta get Coterie. If you have a baby with sensitive skin or even eczema, you definitely know how important it is to make sure that you prevent diaper mash. Enter Coterie. Coterie diapers and wipes are made with the most gentle and safe materials to help keep your baby comfortable and you at ease. And with all of the really questionable materials and baby products these days, it's scary to make a decision about products. With Coterie, your baby can have both the cleanest and highest performing diapers on the market. And they are so soft. I mean, the fact that they are made so beautifully and with such healthy materials is such a bonus. And some fun facts, Coterie is the highest performing diaper on the market for infants and toddlers with up to two times more liquid capacity and four times faster moisture working versus other brands. So your baby can stay drier longer. And Coterie diapers are made with clothing grade material, giving your baby a cashmere-like feel, which is no exaggeration. You just have to touch them. They're so ridiculously soft. That keeps your baby more comfortable day and night. They're dermatologist tested and use only the cleanest ingredients. Plus, Coterie wipes are National Eczema Association approved. Coterie has been awarded best diaper and wipes by The Bump and Parents.com. Right now, Coterie is partnering with my podcast to offer you 20% off your first order plus free shipping at Coterie.com slash humans. That's Coterie, C-O-T-E-R-I-E.com slash humans for 20% off and free shipping. Coterie.com slash humans. I am so proud to have them as a sponsor. Now I do want to get back to what are the approaches that you took as a father to have the close connection with your kids that you have and how did you manage to figure out how to keep the three boys from two different marriages so connected? Well, I think that's a very good question and appropriate, I assume, for your audience. Uh, (laughs) I I just, from the very beginning, I just knew that, you know, boys with different mothers 
uh, you know, has to have some impact. And particularly with one, my first son living with his mother and just visiting, uh, I did everything possible to make him feel that my home was his home as much as his own home. And uh, I, I can't say I 100% succeeded in that because there's always got to be a certain degree of feeling from a child from a first marriage that, you know, they're, that they, they're, they're uh, entering into another uh, arrangement that's not their, the one they were born with. And I did everything I could to be with him, to uh, have him with me and to uh, include him in everything that I was doing uh, wherever possible. And like I think most divorced fathers uh, try to do because, you know, in most cases the child the child is living with their mother. And uh, I like this new idea if you have enough money, which you got to have a lot of money, but where there's uh, his apartment, hers apartment, and, and, and their apartment, the kids, so the kids stay in one place. That's to me is a great new development that I don't think existed, but, you know, unfortunately not most, many people, I certainly couldn't have afforded it. And in the days when I was bringing up my first son, when the other two were born, uh, there was, it was impossible for me to afford to have enough rooms for everybody. But, you know, I, I, for many years lived in a room growing up because we didn't have the money to live with my sister, my younger sister for a while. So to me, sharing rooms is certainly not a, not a burden. And uh, I have met, tried very hard to make my sons feel like they are all exactly the same and have treated them all exactly the same. I have, uh, you know, all holidays are with all of us to the extent possible. Every summer uh, used to be two or three weeks, we would all be together. It, it unfortunately, gets harder and harder as the grandchildren get older and everybody has their own separate lives. And I tried every way financially to make my sons feel like they are exactly the same. And I, I, I'm pr probably a little bit anal about it, but there's no question that one has to think they're being treated better than someone else. And of course, they're the, one of the big challenges of, you know, my first son, Mark was born at a time when I, my career was just starting. He was born in 1964. I, I was still employed. Uh, I, I had two jobs left to have, go before I started my own business. So when I started my own business, I also, you know, anyone starting a business is not overflowing with, uh, with surplus capital. So, you know, I was always a little restricted in what I could do early on and much less so today, but I, uh, I try to build a feeling among them of brothers. I'm happy to say that all my daughter-in-laws get along well. For a while, we used to have uh, my three sons and I at a 11.30 call uh, on Sundays where we just kind of on Zoom talk, talk to each other, and I got the grandkids to do it for a while also. Not so simple to do, but to try to have a cousin's conversation. That's uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I made the attempts. I can't say they've been 100% successful, only because 
of the pressures of life. But uh, I have been very, very conscious, and uh, that has been a, a mission of mine since day one, uh, because I know how easily it can be. Uh, you can disrupt a family when they're when you're trying to put two together. I think that's something that's a worthwhile effort. I mean, I tried to go to everybody's games. I try to go to everybody's sing-alongs. I try to go to everyone's plays, go to everyone's baseball games, basketball, whatever it is. I've, I've made an attempt to be present, as you said. And uh, I think it takes a lot of effort, I have to say that. And I hope, you know, after I'm not around, you know, I I am pretty sure that it will continue. I'm pretty sure. I'd be disappointed if it weren't. I'm willing to bet. You can ask my son separately. I don't know, but I would think it would continue. So looking forward, someone's talking to Jamie or John or Mark, and they say, tell me about how you were parented when you were growing up and what kind of parent you are. How do you want them to answer? Boy, that's a, that's a good one. I hope that uh, they have positive memories. I hope they'd say that I didn't let my building a business career interfere too much with their personal uh, activities, that I was involved in their lives. We always gave the parties. We always had the kids at our house. That was a conscious effort. Uh, so the kids from those days, their friends all knew Susan and know me very, very well. They were not strange. I think more so than probably any of the other parents, but that's for them to say, not for me. I would say that uh, we were on the whole good parents. I mean, uh, that we did the right things, that we coached them, that we were available. We gave them love and nurturing. Susan and I were a good combination as you since you knew Susan, she was pretty unusual. She was uh, remarkable. Yeah. Uh, so we were, you know, a, a well-blended couple in terms of building a family. We shared all the same things I told you. Well, now that seems like a perfect end. And now I have to rush off to my two appointments for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 